We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. Proverbs chapter 3. Let me show you something as we start right here. I was a seminary grad, so I understand audiovisual. Okay. This is a uh, coat hanger. <laughs> a lot of times in the beginning of Denton Bible, we had what were called mini churches. Remember those, Joel? We had mini churches. And so what we would do is to get everybody to know each other, we would hand them out coat hangers. And they were straight coat hangers. We'd straighten them out. And what you had to do was take the coat hanger and tell the story of your life. Okay, and, and what took place. And so let's see, it began like this was the most common coat hanger. Okay, I know it makes an N, but that's not it for whenever your life changed when you met Tommy Nelson. Okay, and so we don't, we don't do that. And so it begins like this. It would always start with, uh, you know, I, uh, let's see, it to be like this. Yeah. I started in youth group. My parents took me to church and I was baptized at nine and went on and got in youth group and Awana and boys brigade and, and heritage girls or whatever. And then I graduated and went to college. <laughs> or then I got out of college and I got my job in Dallas. Or uh, I met my future mate at a bar down at Deep Ellum or wherever. And that's the way the life I grew like this. Then all of a sudden I left home and went like this until I hit the bottom. And I was doing uh, seven to 12 in Huntsville or something like that. <laughs> then all of a sudden we began to dig our way out and began to grow. And I'm so glad I went through that because now I'm in my Bible continually and I've raised my kids. And so would y'all agree with me that that quite often is a testimony? Yeah, it's when young guys think that they've graduated God. You dig? I don't need him anymore. Are you a Christian? I think he's good for some people, but not me. And so you go through youth, you head to college, career, marriage, kids, and all of a sudden you find out you're not playing with a net anymore. The ante is going up. It's not you obeying your parents. It's you. This was my configuration that I was in Pawnee Martin's high, uh, junior high Sunday school class until I came to North Texas State University. All right. And I didn't know I had a Bible in my suitcase until I got to digging in about four months later and I found mama had packed it. But I don't know why she would have, but yeah. And so that was my testimony. Can anybody identify with this? The only guy that didn't have one like this was Jesus. At the age of 12, it said he continued in subjection to his parents until he was 30. And he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And so Christ uh, never graduated God. Junior high, high school, college, hypothetically, he was walking with God. That's the way it's supposed to be, okay? Well, I'll put, the, you can get one of these for $600 at uh, uh, Amazon right here, okay? This text is about, I call it the Big Dipper, because often the guy that Proverbs is written to is my son, the next generation of Jews. You're only one generation away from chaos. You're only one tsunami 
away from worldly philosophy, worldly idolatry that you try to syncretize with your faith to get you a golden calf. When the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That's all it takes is one generation. And so, uh, and verse one, it's a call to a lifelong commitment. My son, don't forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments. Did you ever say this to your kid when he went off to college? Take the Lord with you when you go. So don't walk away. Don't think you have graduated. The book of Jeremiah says, stand by the way and watch. Ask for the ancient path where the good way lies. And there you will find peace for your soul. Has the 20th century changed a lot of that? The 20th century was the first time we moved away from a worldview of God to the sovereignty of man. The big issue in the 1800s was, were you a, a, a Lutheran, a Catholic, Reformed, a Baptist, a Methodist? The 20th century, something changed, all right? Uh, later on in the 60s, we called it the generation gap between the old and the young. That uh, now the 20th century is called not the, the century of religion, it is the century uh, of ideologies, communism, secularism, atheism, uh, wokeism. It's all the isms and asms and spasms of the ideas of man. Uh, and all of these ideologies that you and I have been hit with since the 20th century began, they all have something in common. They're all new. They are not biblical. They are new. Remember Mark Bailey from Dallas Seminary? He used to say, boys, if it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. If it's in the Bible, it's true. So they're all new. They're all man-made. They all replace God. They all at the outset are very optimistic. They all feel that the old is bad. The new is good. And if you're going to move on in culture, you need to cancel culture to forget it. You need to burn the books. Uh, Hegelianism in the early 1800s. Hegel said there is no truth. A generation has a thesis Somebody rebels against it. It's an antithesis. You compromise to a synthesis that becomes the children's thesis and the antithesis. And so truth is always new. Quote Hegel, our dialectic philosophy has destroyed all notions of a definitive and absolute truth. Hegel. And so truth is evolving. Hegel. Uh, a guy that read him was Karl Marx. Are y'all familiar with him? Groucho's younger brother. I, I lied, that's not true. Karl Marx, a Jew, a, a German Jew in, uh, that shaped Marxism. And he simply said that history is evolving. And you go from feudalism with monarchs our monarchs to feudalism, to republics, to democracy, and then you evolve to capitalism, and then you have it all fall in on the non-compassionate use of wealth, workers of the world unite, and so the final system will be communism, where all things are held communally, and it's heaven on earth, just like Russia and 
Uh, I'm making a joke, okay. <laughs> but they're all optimistic that we will finally have fraternity, liberty, and uh, brotherhood. Workers of the world unite. You have nothing to lose but your chains. And so that is Marxism. Darwinism, at the same time, said what is true metaphysically and what is true governmentally is true naturally. Man is not in the image of God. God does not determine things. Nature and chance does, and we are evolving. The old is bad. The new is good. Hegel, the old is bad. The new is good. Marx, the old is bad. The new is good. All came along. You would have thought there was a spirit behind it, guiding it. Theological liberalism out of Germany said the Bible is not true. The Bible is a compilation of men's existential ideas. You begin with uh, uh, polytheism, then henotheism. God is one of many gods. And then you go to the monotheism and then to the monotheism of the Old Testament where God is a destroyer to the good God of Jesus. And so God evolves in time. It's called higher criticism. And that came at the same time of all of those others in the 1800s. And then you had what was called uh, the Industrial Revolution. The old stuff is bad. The new is good. Uh, and you have with that commercialism. Uh, capitalism is driven by commerce, driven by commercials, that what you have is bad. Your crest is really bad for you. You need Colgate. Okay, and you program into it obsolescence. Then you get new and improved Colgate, okay? And so the old is bad, the new is good. Technology, has that changed in the last few years? I think so. Everything is obsolete. Uh, you ever go to antique malls and get depressed because you see your former life <laughs> in there? Yeah. You ought to go in there and see your books that are sold for a nickel. Yeah. Uh, one time I was at the gym, I was working out and I was going to get somebody to charge up my cell phone. Okay. And I said, Hey pal, you got something to charge up? I have a cell phone. Okay. As a matter of fact, AT&T sent me a new one because my old one had been put to sleep. And so they had me a new cell phone. And I showed it to this guy and he went, Wow! And he yelled to his buddy, Fred, come here and look at this. <laughs> My cell phone. Okay. And so everything grows obsolete. And so all of these isms, they all got one thing. They all start with man. They're all optimistic. They all get rid of God and the old is, the old is bad. The old is bad. In the 60s, it was the generation gap between the old and the new. The old guys were old-fashioned, and they were also square. Why do you think we'd call them square? Because square is something that is definitive, right angles. There's a way it ought to be, and it is. Y'all remember your fathers and grandfathers? There was a work ethic. There was sexual morality. There was a way a, a judge ought to rule. There was oughtness or absolutes. When I was in junior high, I was in a speech class and we had to make a presentation from a, a magazine article that we had read we thought was good. Can't remember any of them except Timmy Moore. 
1964, I can still see him. And he got up and he read something from somewhere and it was on being square. Now this is 64 where all things are changing. And he said, uh, in the old days when you were square, it meant you were a square dealer, that you were square with the world. You had squared up on your debt and it meant that you had fit into a system of truth. He said, now you're behind the times. It's evolved beyond you. And I can still see Timmy Moore giving that reading about being square. And I said, times are a-changing. And you know, there was something, I'll tell you something about me, because I know that's why you came to church. There's no button me. But when I was young, I always loved to read about guys from the 40s, the 30s. I always liked it. And I think it was because there was something in me that sensed I was in a time of convulsion. Because I was born in the 50, I grew up in the 60s, and there was something wrong. I think it's when the Beatles went east. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? When the Beatles gave up Western thought and they moved to the east, the generation gap, the worldview shift. And then they quit the East because they recognized that the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi was a dirty old man. Did y'all know that? He was always hitting on Mia Farrow. And so they left, wrote a song about him called Sexy Sadie. You heard it here. Not Sexy Sadie, but you heard that, that it happened here. And there was something in me, and I think God providentially put there, and it was a sense of angst. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. People don't dance together anymore. Did y'all notice that? You had to go to Arthur Murray. Anybody remember Arthur Murray? To teach you how to dance. And no longer did you dance together. You danced to be seen. You didn't touch. It was all by yourself. It was a white man's dream. I didn't have to be a good dancer. I just had to move with the music. There was no oughtness of good dancing until disco. Y'all know that's why disco was started? Guys in New York that were tired of the fact that there was no longer good dancing, so they invented disco. That you could say a guy was a good dancer. John Travolta. Okay. I'm lost. Where was I? Oh, yes. Let me show you something. My favorite Norman Rockwell. It's called The Connoisseur. It's from the early 60s. Does that tell the story of the 60s? That man right there looks suspiciously like uh, Dwight Eisenhower, our World War II general and our president. He's got the Homburg, he's got the, the gloves, and he's standing. What pose is that? It's military. He's at ease. And he's looking at a Jackson Pollock who was a 50s uh, beatnik. And it's two universes looking at each other. I would have entitled the painting, What the Fat? Because you know that's what he's still guys thinking. What in the fat has he done? Do we pay for this? I went in, one of those sheepdogs said to me, you know that picture you showed of Eisenhower? He said, when you turned around, 
Yeah. What do these movies all have in common? Brave New World, Huxley, 1984, Orwell, Heart of Darkness, Joseph Conrad, Lord of the Flies, Logan's Run, Time Machine, Matrix, Apocalypse Now, Planet of the Apes. They're all in the horror genre. They're all about a world of the future where we're going. They're all atheistic and they are all horror films because men recognized that's where we're going is horror. When the 20th century came to birth with Lenin, with Hitler, with Chairman Mao, with Castro, Che Guevara, college takeovers, abortion, no-fault divorce. It, it's like the, uh, a, uh, it was an earthquake at sea. What follows an earthquake at sea? A tsunami. Today is the tsunami. The first half of the 20th century, actually it began back in the 1800s when the 1700s were embraced the Enlightenment, and now we got the privilege. If I was God, I'd smite the world with an entire pandemic. That's what I would do, you know, but that's where we are. Have you noticed also, I'm going to move on from this verse here in a little bit. Have you noticed that our world still calls out values? I, I was watching the Buffalo Bills play the Kansas City Chiefs, and on the Buffalo Bills Helmets, they all had moral maxims. Did you notice that? End racism, end hate, down with hate. Be kind, be accepting. Amen. I could find you chapter and verse, but they didn't know why. Why should we not be racist? Why should we be loving to all men? What if we are not? Who is the standard? The only people that know what the moral maxims are, are the people of the book, that they come from an infinite personal God, written by the law of God, embodied by the living word of God, Jesus, defined by the Bible, and held pay in Revelation, if you don't. Amen? We're the only guys that know what we're talking about when we call out moral maxims. The other guys hadn't got a clue literally don't have a clue. And if you stopped them and said, let me tell you why we should do that, uh, they'd pick up my check. I'd get fired. Not I would, but the person that did that would. If Roger Goodell said, we've got enough maxims on these helmets, we need repentance beneath the living God and faith in his son, Jesus Christ. You think Roger would be around long? He would not. We're the guys that know what we're talking about. I feel better. Okay. In verse two, if you'll do this and hang on to the truth, you will avoid an untimely death and a painful life. Length of days and years of life. Peace they will add to you. It's not talking about you can't die young. It means that you will not overdose. You will not die of alcohol poisoning. 
You will not put a quart of vodka through your liver every two days and toast it and you die. It means that uh, you can govern your anger and you will not have your fourth wife walk off on you. It means that you can raise your kids in consistency and they won't all fight to get away from you when you are old. You will have a life of peace. One time, I was over at the barber shop. Don't say anything. And I was going to get a trim. Talks about two minutes. And there was a guy in the chair in front of me. And he was a Denton native. And we got to talking. And I told him, I said, you know, there were three guys in Denton that all Denton boys feared. Uh, coach Carrico, Bill Carrico, a coach. Uh, Charlie Cole, probation officer. And C.H. Collins. When you go down the loop, do you look on the right at that stadium? C.H. Collins. C.H. Collins was an African-American gentleman that was the head coach at Fred Moore High. And he came when in integration to Denton High, and he was kind of the dean of boys. And he was a large, powerful gentleman. And I mentioned C.H. Collins. And the guy in the chair went, yeah. He said, my daddy was a Baptist pastor. He's still got the deal around him. They're cutting on his hair and he's just talking. He said, he was a Baptist pastor. I got sent to the office for impertinence in my class, mouthing off to the teacher. I walked into C.H. Collins' office. He said, he just looked at me and he took a Bible, King James Bible, and he threw it to me, just like counselors will today. He just threw me a Bible. He said, open it to Ephesians 6.1. I opened it. He said, read it. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that you may live long upon the earth. He said, you found that text pretty quick for a bad boy. He said, yes, sir. My father's a Baptist minister. He said, I know he is. So your problem ain't that you don't know the truth. You're just not doing it. Yes, sir. He said, he pointed over to the corner. He said, young man, what do you see over there? And it was all of C.H. Collins' paddles that all had holes in them for maximum velocity. <laughs> he said, what are those? He said, those are your paddles. He said, no, those aren't paddles. That's firewood because I'm about to set you on fire. <laughs> the next time I see you in here, I'm going to set you on fire. And this is honest to, before the Lord. This is what the guy is sitting there. And by this time, all the barbers had quit. And they're listening to him. And he said, uh, you know, I never ended up in that man's office again. And I'll tell you why. Because that, I'll tell you why. That man had come to Jesus meeting with me. Not in pop off no more. <laughs> he wept out of love, and then he said, "I love that old man." He was going to beat him <laughs> with his choice of uh, of weapons. You know why did he? Because the opposite of love is not hate; it's apathy, where you don't care. You know what the most destructive thing is? You can say to anybody else, "Whatever." That's the most destructive thing. 
It means to heck with you. Do what you want to do. I don't care. Well, that guy called him back to the book and he never left it. Uh, verse three, don't forsake God's word. Don't let kindness, how you treat people, and truth, your stance before God, leave you. That's called old school. What are the two leading commandments? Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't miss the law of God. In verse uh, three, bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Don't think you are so smart that somehow you don't need God anymore because you do, my son. Paul to Timothy. Timothy, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them. It's a plural pronoun, whom? That from childhood, which is the word for, you'll find a baby wrapped in a manger. From childhood, you have known the sacred writings, the hierographe, the holy book. You ever heard of holy writings, hieroglyphics? Hierographe is a term for the Old Testament. It's a holy writing. Uh, you have known the sacred writings able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith that is in Christ. And then all scripture is God-breathed. Timothy, stay in your Bible. Kendall once told me that one of the most heartbreaking things is having kids in the youth choir that graduate God and go on and have to get beat and hurt until they turn back. I don't know if you know it, that guy that sang over here, Joel, one of our youth choir kids. Uh, Lauren, uh, long dark hair, used to be Lauren Hamp, one of our youth kids. Somebody else, Nicole, that's one of our youth kids. And so they've come all the way through and they've continued. That hadn't been the story all the time. And so he says, don't leave the ancient path. In verse four, here's what you're gonna find. Favor and good, literally good, the Hebrew says good understanding. People are gonna like you and people are gonna revere you because you're smarter than everybody else. And you're the guy they're gonna come to when the pinches, when, when, the, when the downs fall. They're the guy you're gonna come to because they have good understanding. Uh, I think about in our church, some old couples, some that have gone to be with the Lord, some that are still here. I think of Mel and Patty, of Warren and Ida Nystrom, Ray and Nelene McFarland, Jack and Jenny Manus, W.L. and Joy Brown, Revo and Jane Stewart, uh, Ted and Willene Tripp, Bob and Mary McSpadden, Leon Breeden and Benny. I did the funerals of a lot of them. And you know, uh, nobody in the world could critique those guys, maybe only academically. But I remember me in the 60s, I would listen to all the garbage that was coming down in the 60s. And I never, ever fully got into it because I could not go beyond my grandfather, my father, and my mother. No critic, no uh, Timothy Leary, no John Lennon, even Elvis, nobody, no Bob Dylan, nobody could exceed the life of my parents because I'd seen it. And so he says, you will find honor 
and understanding. You're going to be the go-to guy. You're going to be the wise man, the shaman they're going to come to. And in verse 7, uh, I'm sorry, verse 5 and 6, this is how you do it. You trust in the Lord with all your heart. You don't have a closet that you regard as your own. You give all your heart to God and you don't lean on or don't trust on your own thinking. There's a way that appears right into a man, but the end thereof is death. All of those ideologies I gave you found their origin in a human, usually a European one, okay, that got by himself and thought through it and came up with something that moved the entire earth. And so don't trust yourself. And verse six, in all your ways, yada, know him. Make sure that in the way that you follow, that God is with you and he will make your paths straight. God said to Abraham, walk before me and I will establish my covenant. I made a promise of a child, a nation, and a land to put him in. That will occur whenever you, the father, are where you need to be. So you walk before me and then you let me take care of the future, but you take care of right now. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and it's a light unto my path. And so uh, in verse seven, don't be so smart that you think you can close your Bible. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Don't be wise simply means when somebody comes to me and they say, what do you think and your church think about these metaphysical ideas? Ideas that you can't quantify through nature or a lab or a telescope or a microscope. What do you think about male and female roles, transgender, homosexuality, gayness? What do you think about uh, wokeness, assigning guilt to this race? And what do you think about these metaphysical things that are usually opinions? And I always say to them, let me say something to you. I'm a Christian. The root word of Christian is Christ. Christ is the second person of the Trinity that assumed humanity and was the perfect man sacrifice that man might be reconciled back to a true God. Now that's pretty supernatural. And so I am a Christian because Christ is the acme of all biblical ideas. So with that in mind, when you're asking me what the news or science can't tell me, I'm going to tell you what God says from the Bible. And so here's what I think about evolution. And here's what I think about man in the image of God. Here's what I think about relative morality and transgender and gayness. And here's what I think about all this other stuff. It is what God says. I don't have an opinion. I never argue with people that create the universe. I'm just that smart. Okay. We are the ultimate belief system that we have a pre-existent infinite personal God of personality, morality, and love that is a standard for right. We hold that there is a creation that reflects him, that there is man that is uniquely in his image, that there was a departure from this. And that's where evil is, the absence of God and going off on your own. We have a book from a chosen nation about a miracle man who's going to die and rise and convert and return. And so it's the ultimate belief system. Are you with me? When you reject Christianity, thank you, and go somewhere else, you're going from a Mercedes 
to a, a skateboard. I'm not about to exchange that ultimate belief system. Plato, 300 BC. As you go through life, you must hold to the best opinions of men as to a ship in a storm, unless you have a more certain word of God. Biggest things you don't talk about at a party, religion and politics, because they're metaphysical. They're involving things that are just opinions, unless God speaks. If you have a Bible and a death and resurrection, you have just solved philosophy and religion. All you got to worry now is the cowboys. Because <laughs> you can't control them. And so he goes on to say, and just think about it like this. In the Garden of Eden, the first rule, eat of this tree, the tree of life, and have fellowship with me. It's communion. This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, meaning that you don't need me. You can get good and evil and success in life on your own. This is the child's tree. This is the teenager tree right here. In the day that you eat of that one, you will surely die. Darkness is going to fall. Don't you do it. A test for the angelic realm to observe the worthiness of God. Uh, the first lie was the serpent. Let's talk about God. Has God said, you shall not eat from any tree? Is that what he said? Eve, you shall not eat from any tree or touch it. Or you can eat from any tree, tree of this knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat it or touch it lest you die. And Satan said, you will not die. That's not true. That old way is not true. Listen to me, I'm gonna give you something new. You will not surely die. His word is not true and his justice is not to be feared. And here's why, he's not good. He knows that in the day you do it, you're not gonna need him anymore. And so the old man won't have you. If you will just depart from him, you will found, find a lifestyle where you don't need him, you will be as a God. See, that was the first lie. The old is bad, the new is what I tell you. It's what the creation comes up with, okay? Well, in verse eight, he says, give me, give me, just before I go on, give me another illustration. A compass, is there any place that a compass won't work? No, theoretically, no. Compass is always gonna work. That hand is always gonna point north because that's where it came from. It's pointing to magnetic north. And if I'll just take that and put in on north, now I know where I am and I know where to go. If I'm in a forest, will the compass still work? Yes. If I'm in a briar patch, will it still work? If I'm on the Kansas plains and can't see anything on the horizon, will it work? It will. And that's the Bible. It, no matter where I am, if I will square myself up to it, I know where I am and I know where I need to go. And that's the way the Bible is. You ever think back on your old pagan days and wondered how you ever made it? I really, I cannot imagine how I could make it through life without a Bible. Well, here in verse eight, here's what you're gonna get. You're gonna enjoy a life that has the pleasure of the absence of self-created pain. 
It'll be healing literally to your navel, your belly, and refreshment to your bones. Peter, let him who means to love life and see good days refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. His ears attend to their way. But the face of God is against all who do evil. That is Peter's graduation message to his readers. And so, uh, don't get to a place in life where your worst enemy is you. Can that ever happen? Where your worst enemy is you. My son is a Fort Worth PD police officer. And he has had to pull in guys and he'll run their, their deal on his, and he'll see, they, they got a list this long of criminal records. And quite often he tries to talk sense to them. And so he'll turn around in the unit and say, hey, friend, have you ever thought of not being a criminal? You know, you're not a real good one. He told me one time, he said, we're so used to seeing super villains on movies. And John and Ben both, my, both my sons are law enforcement. They said, there ain't no super villains. They're idiots. He said, what kind of genius starts a Ponzi scheme where you know it's coming down on you? You know it, but you keep doing it. What kind of guy starts doing meth? where you know your teeth are going to fall out and then you're going to die. You're going to, the police department calls a meth addict a locust because you're dead. What kind of individual does that? And so when you get off on your own, you're in a world of hurt. And so uh, let me stop here and vent my spleen. Humans aren't meant to be independent. Can a cheetah act independently and be okay? Say yes. He has no knowledge of God, but it doesn't matter. He's hardwired. He does what cheetahs do. He doesn't have a freedom of will. He doesn't know evil. A lion is hardwired. An anaconda is hardwired. It swallows things. Uh, a bighorn sheep walks on a precipice this wide. He's hardwired. He can do it. Humans can't do that. A human is the one creature that is made for God. And that is why in the Bible, we are never called. Only Jesus is called a lion. You and I are not called lions. We are called what? Sheep. And sheep have to have a shepherd. They're the one animal that is, is symbiotic on man. And so a sheep, question, is he the weakest of all animals or he is the safest and strongest of all animals? It depends. Is the sheep near his shepherd? The rod and staff comfort him. Is the sheep on his own? He is brisket. Is the sheep brisket? He's mutton. Until I've eaten a lot of sheep. <laughs> well, in verse 9, he goes on. He says, let me give you an example. He says, your barns, I'm sorry, 9, honor the Lord from your wealth, the first of your produce. You and I don't tithe, we give. The Old Testament guys were taxed a tenth. And it was to do two things. To recognize that their food came from God. 
You can plant the seed all day. If God does not give the early and the late rains, incidentally, Israel is the one country over in the Middle East that does not have a natural hydrologic system. The Nile, Tigris, Euphrates, got big old rivers. The Congo, the Amazon, uh, Israel doesn't. They have a Sea of Galilee that's really a, a river that swells up, and then the Jordan down to the Dead Sea. And it does not feed the whole nation. It's in the little Jordan Valley. So you're in trouble. The only way is you have to get what's called the early and the late rains. And the way you're going to get those is you've got to obey God. And so they are, Israel is a nation of sheep. You have to obey God. Because if he shuts it off, you're going to end up running down to Egypt for some food, Joseph and your buddies. And so a tithe is to make the Jew thankful, but it also has him trust. I could keep the money myself. I could keep the grain myself, or I can give it away to the priesthood. But now I have to trust God. And that's the way that God rigs it. I don't give you blessing so you can trust me. You will trust me and I will give you blessing. The Kingston Trio. Does anybody know who I'm talking about? Okay. Who has no idea who the Kingston Trio is? Okay. That's the problem with your life. <laughs> Go back and learn from the artists. The Kingston Trio had a song called The Ballad of Desert Pete. Buddy, are you with me? You were not a folk song kind of a guy. Okay. You were probably cream and the vanilla fudge. I believe you. Yeah. Uh, that was a group. Two groups. Uh, how'd you know? That's acid rock. You know that. When I was a kid, I listened to the Kings and Trio and they had a song called the Ballad of Desert Pete. And it's about a guy that is dying of thirst in the desert and he happens upon a water pump, a well. And by it, there is a bottle full of water. And the bottle full of water says, don't drink this water. Pour it down this hole and you will prime the pump. And then you pump it and don't be afraid there's water down and it's going to come up, but you're going to have to trust me. I can either drink this and help my problems for a little bit or I can prime the pump. And as the song goes, drink all the water you can hold. Wash your face to your feet, but leave the bottle full for others. Thank you kindly, Desert Pete. Thank you. And that's the way life is. You've got to trust him and then see what God can do. And a lot of times, God will not act quickly because he's not going to have you make him your genie. He's got to be your God. That when I tithe, I'm saying, in the Old Testament, God, you're sovereign over the universe and I'll trust you. And so you honor him. And then verse 10, you're going to have another problem. Your barns and your vats aren't going to be big enough. That's going to be your problem. They'll be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Amazing. He says, test me. How's it go? Malachi, test me. And see if I will not open the windows of heaven. Trust me. In verse 11, 
Here's what keeps you from doing it. You're afraid of change. My son, don't reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. Don't think the worst thing that ever happened to you is the Bible, because it's not. The opposite of love is apathy. Whom the Lord loves, he reproves or he chastens. That verse is the last verse in Revelation 3, Revelation 2 and 3 are the seven churches that represent the church age. The last church is Laodicea. And right after he says, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever hears my door and opens my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and I'll sup with him and him with me. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Therefore, do not loathe his reproof. He loves you. Trust him. Whom the Lord loves, he reproves as a father, the son whom he delights. Uh, my hero when I was a young quarterback was Johnny Unitas, okay, Baltimore Colts. And then I learned what girls were, and my hero was Joe Namath, okay. And so Joe Namath told the story that when he was in college, Bear Bryant was asked the question, is this the best athlete on your team. He said, he's the best athlete I've ever seen is Joe Namath from Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. And he was. And take it from me. On all the quarterbacks that have ever lived, nobody ever did it like Joe Namath. He was the greatest of all. Joe Montana came close. But he was the greatest of all athletes was Joe Namath. And uh, Joe Namath was a tough kid from the hood of Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania whose daddy ran off with a younger woman when he was little, and he said he never overcame it. And when he got, well, when he was in college, he was a sophomore starter, and he was great. And on one occasion, he did something wrong, and he comes to the sideline. He's got his helmet on, and Coach Bryant grabbed him. Joe, come here, come here. You, your read was this, and you can't, and all the time he's talking, Namath, tough kid, is doing this. You don't want to do that with Bear Bryant. He's 6'3". He's about 240. And Namath said he reached out and he grabbed me by the helmet. And he picked me up. <laughs> and he said I was face to face with him. And he said he looked deep into my eyes from these old creviced, crinkly eyes of his. And he said, boy, don't you ever Turn away from me when I'm talking to you. He said, you look me in the eye like a man when I'm talking to you. And Joe said, <laughs> he put it back down. When Joe got introduced into the Canton Football Hall of Fame, he got up and he said, I just want to thank Larry Bruno, my high school coach. I want to thank these guys. I want to thank my mama raising me. And I'd like to thank Paul. I'd like to thank Bear Bryant and he and his wife. just made me like Bill God bless you. <laughs> That's how Joe Namath got in the Hall of Fame. He never forgot that come to Jesus meeting he had with a man a World War II veteran that picked him up from Morrow Bottom, Arkansas. 
and said, you look me in the eye. Just like C.H. Collins. My father-in-law was the, he's the greatest man I've known. Ben Newman, fought at Leyte Gulf, fought in the middle of World War II, went over with 44, came back with 11. And uh, he had a, a cousin named Harry Lee. And I remember him telling me this story when we were first married. I'm sitting at the dinner table listening to him. He said, my cousin was Harry Lee, Harry Lee Wilson. His daddy was Uncle Red, who goes down, take a left on the oil road, going up to the top of the hill on the left. That's where Uncle Red lived. And he said, uh, his wife still see her today. And I remember her, it was Maggie May, Aunt Maggie. And Ben's told me, now this is a, a guy that rode a mule to school, went to World War II, uh, became, owned his own oil company. I knew how to marry. He owned his oil, own oil company. He built it himself and he did real well. Became, got on the board of Laterno and East Texas Baptist University. He was a great man. God-fearing, loved Christ with all of his heart. And uh, he said, I'd go up and play with Harry Lee up there around the bend. And uh, every once in a while, me and Harry Lee were pretty, pretty loud. We were pretty rowdy. We'd start doing stuff we shouldn't do. And Aunt Maggie Mae would grab me. And you know what she'd do? And he talked about how she'd put the stick on him and whoop him. And then he said, God, I don't know what I'd have done without Maggie Mae. An old man crying because of this old East Texas woman that made him stop in his tracks and say, no, you're not, gonna, you're not so smart. You can walk away from right. Do we all need to? And that's what life does sometimes. You're not so smart. You can walk away from life. Father in heaven, I pray that we might return to the God of our childhood, to the shepherd of Moses, to the great I am. He's Jesus to me, eternal deity. And I have returned. Yes, I have returned. Oh, that our country could see the folly of its ways. Oh, that Russia and Germany and France and England, of India, of China, of South America, of Canada, Japan, the Middle East, if man could simply see the simplicity of truth and the complicated nature of sin. Lord, we pray that our Bibles might be well-worn and that we might be familiar with you. In Jesus' name, amen.